All right, we're going to jump into our lesson this morning. Hopefully, hopefully, if there's people watching online, you can hear us better than you could last week, because that was not great. I publicly apologize for that. Uh, we just never turned the microphone on, and so everyone at, everyone at home is like, I can't hear you. <laughs> you if you thought, am I crazy? Nope, we're, we were the crazy ones. We're going to jump into our lesson on family. Uh, guys. How many times do I preach on church's family? Like, pretty regularly. It's kind of a thing. Uh, we did our, our um, Never Just Church series, where we talked about church's family, church's kingdom, church's mission, and it's all of those. Uh, and we can't, you know, pick one over the other. We can't choose, well, I like this kind of church. I don't want these kind of churches. That's not the, that's not the vision. We're going to look this morning at three practical things. And depending on how, like, you're wired, you may listen to this and be like, well, those aren't super practical. Like, I want practical, like, when you leave, do this, then do this. And It's not that practical. Um, but we're going to look at three things that if we can work on these three things. Like, I'm not a guarantee guy, but man, if we could work on these three things, our church would be a shining light uh, about what it looks like to be church as family. A lot of people say they want church to feel like family. I can't, I can't think of a church I've ever been to that says, I, I, don't want, I don't want a church to feel like family. Like, everybody knows. Even, even the most hard-hearted person knows that that's the, at least that's the right answer. At least you're supposed to say you want a church that feels like family. But do you want to have close, safe, trusting, intimate relationships with everybody, with people here? The same kind of relationships that families have. And you might be like, well, bro, my family, not the most close, intimate, trusting, safe environment. I get that. I get that. That's not God's, that's not God's plan for families. And so something I've said before, and I'll say it again, is that church, this is church, right? Church is just the word that we use to describe the thing that God designed to be a family. And the more you let that sink in and let it actually mean something in your heart, the more powerful that statement becomes. If church doesn't feel like family, and there's, I've been in, you know, I've had many people say, oh, I just wish church felt more like family. If church doesn't feel like family, it's not that we're a good church that's doing family poorly. We might not be doing church right because church is family. Hopefully that's, Hopefully that's the most controversial thing I'll say this morning. We're going to look at, um, I'm, going to, I'm going to look in Philippians 2, if you want to flip there. I'm going to read this verse uh, backwards. We're going to start in verse 9 and 11. And you may have seen this. This is talking about Jesus' like majesty and glory and might and power. And I'll just read it. Therefore God exalted him to the highest place and gave him the name that is above every name. That at the name of Jesus, every knee should bow in heaven and on earth and under the earth. And every tongue acknowledge that Jesus Christ is Lord to the glory of God the Father. It's talking about Jesus' authority, his majesty, his might, and his power. And you read this and you go, yeah, Jesus is awesome. And that should, that's a good takeaway. But right before this verse, this is what it says. Jesus 
who being in, va- in very nature God, did not consider equality with God something to be used to his own advantage. Rather, he made himself nothing by taking the very nature of a servant being made in human likeness and being found in appearance as a man, he humbled himself by becoming obedient to death, even death on a cross. So that last verse is Jesus' authority and power and might and majesty, but this is Jesus' humility. And it flows right in from the humility to the majesty. But what is the verse right before this? In your relationships with one another, have the same mindset as Christ Jesus. Oh, what mindset is that? The mindset of humility. And then what does it say right before this? We're going backwards. Philippians 2, 1 through 4. Therefore, if you have any encouragement from being united with Christ, if any comfort from his love, if any common sharing in the Spirit, if any tenderness and compassion, then make my joy complete by being like-minded, having the same love, being one in spirit and of one mind. Do nothing out of selfish ambition or vain conceit. Rather, in humility, value others above yourselves, not looking to your own interests, but each of you to the interests of the others or each other. So if we're going backwards in this verse, we start with Jesus' authority, and we go to Jesus' humility, and then we go to our humility in our relationships. And so sometimes we over-spiritualize certain passages. Like it, It's easy to think about how awesome Jesus is, but do we come here and go, man, yeah, Jesus is awesome. Because Jesus is so awesome, I need to be like him. How like him? His humility. And I need to show that. How? In my church family, like in my people, in my, my friends. I need to be like Jesus. And again, if I ask you guys, hey, hey do you think that we should be like Jesus? No one's going to say no. Everyone's going to say yes. Yeah, we all need to be like Jesus. Well, let's look at some things. We got three things this morning. Number one, arm's length. We're talking about what are some practical things we can do to help church feel more like family. Well, this is one of them. The idea that we keep people at arm's length. And it's sad. It's heartbreaking when we're like, hey, we really just want to spend time with you, but it feels like you don't want to spend time with us. And as we were talking about this, I was like, you know what? I'm just going to look up. I don't know why I even decided to Google this, but I did. And I found out that it's actually a legal term when you're talking about transactions. An arm's length transaction refers to a business deal between two unfamiliar parties. Without a previously established relationship, each party can freely pursue their own self-interests as they negotiate the terms. An arm's-length transaction comes from the English idiom to keep something at arm's length, which means to remain distant or impartial. Guys, I was blown away when I look up what does it mean to to conduct an arm's-length transaction, and I read the literal opposite of what we're called to do in the book of Philippians. 
not do things out of your own self-interest, and yet look to the interests of each other. And so if you were selling something, so if like you ever bought anything on Craigslist or Facebook Marketplace, like you don't know that person. There's just some random dude on the internet, and you're like, I'll give you 10 bucks, and they're like, you know, how about, you know, 12? And you're like, 11? Like, fine, pick it up at my door. Have you ever done that? You can put mail, money in the mailbox and take it and run off into the shadows. And you never have a relationship with that person. This, but this is our culture. Like, I don't care about you. I'm only going to look out for what's best for me. Whatever that does to you, I don't care because I don't know you. It's the opposite of family. The opposite of family. And yet, do we bring this mentality into We're going to keep everybody at arm's length. Even though it's literally the opposite of what we're commanded to do. So here's my little little, uh, drawing of a dude with his arms out, okay? So this is the bird's eye view of a guy that's doing this, all right? Now, what happens when you get a bunch of those people together in in a group? Well, what you might imagine is that they arrange themselves somewhat like this. And everybody is like, stay away from me. Back, back. Did you ever see uh, Emperor's New Groove? He's like, no touchy, no touchy. <laughs> now, if you were in a group, if you were one of these people, you'd probably feel somewhat lonely because you're, you're spread out from everybody, but you're also contributing to it. And so the crazy thing about a group like this is that it, it takes on the appearance of normal because we're all equally distanced from each other. And so you can show up at a place like this and feel like, eh, this feels okay. I'm, I'm giving to everybody what they are giving to me. But this isn't actually how most groups assemble usually looks something like this. And so you get these little, these little clusters of people who they are close, and yet they are actively pushing other people away. And this could be like, you know, this is my friend group, or this is my ministry, or this is my family, or this is my whatever, fill in the blank, but this is where I feel close to these guys, but... Everybody else, you're not one of us. And I'm not saying that we're like horrible at any of these. We're, hopefully I can make you feel like we're actually doing some of this stuff right. But, but I'm in the business of warning people about what, I, uh, what could hurt them spiritually. So what happens is if you get one of these guys who's all by himself, and he feels like, man, they're close, and they're close, and they're close, and no one, no one cares about me. That is what it feels like to be in an arm's length community. Now, this is a scripture. I'm going to read this scripture. This is a scripture that has been like my number one point of discipling for my entire early, you know, spiritual life. In 1 Peter 1, 22, it says, Now that you have purified yourselves by obeying the truth, so that you have sincere love for each other, pause, (laughs) love one another deeply from the heart. 
This is the thing that I was discipled on for years and years and years and years. Ben, you love people. We see it, we know it, but you keep them away. There's another level of love, a deep heart love that you are oblivious to because you do this. And so we think it's easy to love people from a distance. It's easy. And if everybody's doing it, it's normal. Yeah, I love you. Hey, I love you. You're awesome. Really? Do you love me? Do you want to come spend time with me? No. Stay over there so that I can love you from over there. I sincerely love you from over there. But you'll never experience the deep heart level love if you keep people at arm's length. So here's here's a question. Am I letting people get close? With a qualifier, close enough to actually know me deeply. I had lunch with Andre this week, and it was awesome. We were talking about, like, family and finances and work and church, and it was great. One of the things we talked about was, like, the, the benefit of the fellowship. Now this, like, when you're coming in and everyone's getting coffee, or when you leave and everyone's talking, like... That's, that's what we call the fellowship. <laughs> and the fellowship is great. Uh, it's not where like huge life-changing decisions are, are made. And it's not, like, it's not like people are getting super open and deep in the fellowship. But to me, the fellowship is church. And when Andre and I got together for lunch, guess where we set up that appointment? Last Sunday, here, in the fellowship. And Andre said something that, I, like, like, stunned me. It took my breath away. He was like, man, what if, because they were asking, like, what, hey, you know, what can we do? I was like, I really just want people to, like, be present and, like, show up to stuff. And he's like, man, what if everybody came and everybody, like, made an appointment at church to get with someone that week? I was like, Andre, stop, stop. Don't, don't, don't take me there, bro. If that happened, that church, whatever church did that, that would be the, the healthiest church in the entire country. <laughs> I appreciate Angie. She called Jen yesterday. They had a great talk. And I, I appreciate um, they had us over. And we were talking. Um, Emily calls and texts Jen. And uh, does Marco Polo with her. I love that. Lauren got, finally got into Marco Polo. So that she can polo Jen. Um, I think there's another level of like radical consistency. And I think, you know, a lot of people came to Courtney's going away party and some of them commented afterwards like, man, would I, if I had a going away party, would that many people come? Would they, would they cry for me leaving? And it's not because Courtney's more likable than you. It's because Courtney did not keep people, keep people at arm's length. I think the consistency that I've seen over the last two years um, in, in their relationship with Jen would be Pat and Pam calling like every week for two years. 
And then uh, for me, two guys that I would definitely want to lift up are Steve and James, who, guys, these guys have bugged me. And, and by bugged, I mean I love it. Every week for two years, we have had like a lunch, like at Marinades, or it started at Cracker Barrel, but now we're at um, Woody's at the, the, the place across from UPS. Um, just consistent time. And I value that stuff. But that's what it looks like when you let people get close and you start to break down. Now, you do that once or twice, great. Good job. But that's not going to be close enough to where they know you. Deeply know you. Gosh, I could talk about this for another hour and a half. But there's another. So, so let's say you're like, okay, I'm going to like not keep people at arm's length. I'm going to be more you know, get people close to me, well, then what? Well, I'm glad you asked, because the next level of this is vulnerability. Vulnerability. Now, there's two kinds of vulnerability. Remember, we're getting practical here. The first kind of vulnerability is where you're being open. I am honest about past and present hurts and weaknesses. These are the things I stink at, These are the things that I'm bad at. These are the things that make me want to not trust people. But I'm going to be open about them. I'm going to tell them about them. Now, in the world of, like, the military or cybersecurity, these are the things, vulnerabilities. As soon as I say vulnerabilities in the the military context, you're like, oh, those are the things that need to be hidden, obscured, eliminated. Don't tell anyone. That's how people take advantage of you. Like if you're in like an IT professional and you work for a company and you're in like doing like, you know, you know IT security and you, you find vulnerabilities in, in your company, you're like, oh no, vulnerabilities. Like they're a bad word. Because we as a culture, we do not get open. We're not honest about hurts and weaknesses. But there's another kind of vulnerability. And that's the woundable. The woundability. That's the, I am willing to risk future hurts so that we could have closeness. I'm going, to get, I'm going to be so close to you and real and honest with you that in a way, I'm going to give you the things that you could use as ammunition against me if you wanted to. And to us, in our like boundaries-centric culture, we're like, why in the world would you ever do that? Don't do that. But that is what this vulnerability that we need as a family is. If I see someone who is open about their past and present hurts and weaknesses, and they're woundable, they're willing to put themselves out there, I see someone who wants family. If I see someone who is distant, hiding, closed off, they probably want some other type of church. And we can have some like religious facade and we can do our part. We'll show up and we'll do the thing and we'll do the, all the stuff and then we'll go back to work on Monday and then that's church, right? And my heart is breaking because I'm like, that's not church. That is like we're playing a game and I don't want to do that. There's a great book called Weak and Strong by Andy Crouch. And he starts with the authority of Jesus. And he says, hey, Jesus has given us authority. 
In Christ, we have authority. But what unlocks that authority is the willingness to expose ourselves to meaningful loss, to become vulnerable or woundable in the world. And he goes on. This is my favorite part of this whole quote. For this is what it means to bear the divine image. If the one through whom all things are made spoke into being a world where he could be betrayed, wounded, and killed. What we are missing to become more like him is not ultimately more authority. It is more vulnerability. And this is where we have this image of like Christianity where we're strong and we're like impervious to hurt. And remember when I asked like, do you want to be like Jesus? Like, yes, we all want to be like Jesus. Jesus created a world that had the possibility to torture and kill him. Can you cultivate an environment of of vulnerability? I'm open about past and current hurts. I'm willing to risk future hurts if it helps us get closer. We should try to create a world that includes the possibility of hurt and loss. Now, if that hurt and loss comes, is it okay? It's not okay. And that's why it takes maturity. If you let someone in and then they hurt you, does, is, do you give them a pass? Oh, no, I guess I, no, I'm supposed to forgive. Like, we can have that conversation, but the flip side is we're going to create a world where no one will ever be able to get close to me. That is not good. Here's what I love. Jesus in the garden. Matthew 26. How are we doing? Then Jesus went with his disciples to a place called Gethsemane, and he said to them, Sit here while I go over there and pray. He took Peter and the two sons of Zebedee along with him, and they began, and he began to be sorrowful and troubled. And then he said to them, My soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. Stay here and keep watch with me. Now see how it says Jesus felt something, and then he told people exactly that, that how he felt. This is what he felt, and then what did he say? He said, hey, this is what I feel. Jesus was able to be honest with his friends about how he was doing. But what about us? Can we be honest and say, I am not doing well right now. Am I guarding myself from the people God has put in my life? I truly believe that. You may disagree, and we could go round and round on this, but I I truly believe that the people here, and whoever's watching at home, that, that God has engineered this somehow so that the people here are here for a reason. Maybe so that you can help them, maybe so that they can help you, but we'll figure that out as we go. Guys, can I just say, I want to welcome Josh and Katie Tabor here. They just moved here yesterday. Katie's going to start her residency. I didn't recruit them. I'm, I'm, I've actively been recruiting everybody I can to move here. I didn't recruit them. Literally, Tom Newley called and he was like, dude, you might get Josh and Katie. And it happened from what? Like, they, she got picked. She got placed here for her residency, and it was like, out of the blue, someone somewhere far away made a decision so that now Josh and Katie are here. They're going to be here for at least a little while. Praise the Lord. But I have to believe that is not 
by just accident. You know, I think of people like Kristen, who has been very open with, with Jen and me about, it's been a very hard, hard month, couple months, hard year. And Kristen has done a great job of communicating to Jen, like, today is a bad day. And when we think about what Jesus said, my soul is overwhelmed with sorrow to the point of death. And yet, when someone asks me how I'm doing, I want to be like, I'm great. Everything's fine. It's a a part of Jesus' character that I refuse to, to embrace. And I think the better we can get at that, like, how are, you, how are you doing? Well, this is how I'm doing. <laughs> now, you may uncover that they didn't really care how you were doing, and they just were hoping you said fine. But we can cross that bridge when we get to it. I really appreciate Gates and Chantel when they came over to our house recently, and they just got open about how they're feeling. The good, the bad, the stresses, the... It's hard. For our young, especially our young marrieds, but our college graduates, like the economy, the housing market, the, the jobs, the Simon trying to get his paperwork, like Jacob trying to get his paperwork, like it's been very hard. And there are people in here where if we keep everybody at arm's length and we're never vulnerable, it's really easy to look out and be like, they're doing fine, they're doing fine, they're doing fine. Everybody's fine except me. And so I got with, I don't know if she's watching, but I I was helping Winter move. And she was just saying, like, it's been really hard. And I just took the opportunity. I validated everything she said. And I'm like, you know, it's great. But you know, you know those two guys that came and helped you earlier? It's been really hard on them too. Like, it's hard on everybody. There's nobody that has a completely easy, carefree life. If you do... Please raise your hand so that we can ostracize you and send you outside. No. Like, there's nobody that has a completely easy and carefree life. But if we keep people at arm's length and we're not vulnerable, it's easy to invent a story about them. Like, well, they're doing great. They don't have a care in the world. And I can guarantee you that's not true. Moving on. Here we go. Last one. Asking for help. This one, man, if the other two were hard, this, is, this may be even harder. This is the final practical. I've mentioned this before, too, in, in our church's family. I call this as part of the work of the family. If you want church to feel like family, you've got to do the work of the family, and this is part of it. We have to get good at asking for help. What does that mean? What do I need to feel like this group is family. And when I figure that out, I'm going to go up to someone and ask them to give it to me. Now, they might not be able to give it to me, and again, we can cross that bridge when we get to it. But the flip side is that no one asks anyone else for help. This is funny. This is a funny example. This is a trivial example, okay? There's some ways you ask for help that are very serious, but man, I love babysitting. I love babysitting. Why? Because babysitting, most people, if you're like young Mary's, like if your mom and dad were in town, you would have no problem saying, take the kids, we're going out on a date or something. 
It's almost implied. Like, like it's easy to ask mom and dad to watch the kids. Or if you have an aunt and uncle or a you know, sibling in town. But it's, it's paralyzing to ask someone who's not family to watch the kids. And for me, I love babysitting. Because there's no easier way for me to demonstrate to you that I want to be that family member. Just ask me. Literally show up and drop the kids off. (laughs) Maybe call ahead. But (laughs) there's no easier way to demonstrate that I'm serious about being part of your family than saying, there's no weirdness, just ask me. I literally just had this conversation with Emily at, the, at, the, at Emma's party. I was like, I, I love babysitting. She's like, oh, really? <laughs> I'm like, stop it. Guys, I'll tell you a story. There was a, a couple in Ann Arbor, and we were helping them, and they were like, yeah, we just don't get any time because of the kids. And I'm like, why don't you drop them off sometime and then go like, take a walk in the park or go out to dinner? And they're like, oh, yeah, I know we should, uh, but, they, but they never did. Finally, I challenged the brother, one-on-one, over coffee one morning. I was like, bro, I'm going to give you an assignment sometime in the next three weeks. I want you to call me and say, Ben, can you watch my kids? He never did. He never did. I would follow up. Bro, let me serve you in this way. Stop using this as an excuse for going out to dinner with your wife, or whatever. Go for a walk in the park. It, it doesn't matter. But let me do this thing. And, it, and I feel like modern American churches, like, we will serve random nameless people. And we'll, we'll feel like that's great. And yet we'll never ask someone who should be our brother and sister in Christ, will you, will you serve me? Let's go back to the garden. Jesus felt something. He was honest about what he felt. And then he, he told them exactly what he needed right in that moment. Stay here. Keep watch with me. I love this about Paul in 2 Timothy. It's the end of 2 Timothy. 4.9. Do your best to come to me quickly. For Demas, because he loved this world, has deserted me and gone to Thessalonica. Crescens has gone to Galatia and Titus to Dalmatia. Only Luke is with me. Get Mark and bring him with you because he is helpful to me in my, my ministry. I sent Tychicus to Ephesus. When you come, bring the cloak that I left with Carpus at Troas and my scrolls, especially the parchments. It's just a funny, I love this part. It's just this funny little like, footnote on, the, on his lesson or on his letter to, to Timothy. But Paul needed four things, and he, he communicated them very clearly to Timothy. Here are the things I need. I need you, I need Mark, I need my coat, I need my books, I need my cloak, and I need my scrolls. And so Timothy reading this, was there some ambiguity? He's like, does he really need this? He probably, maybe, no, no it was very clearly communicated. Here's what I need, and I'm telling you because you can meet this need of mine. And for, Mark, and for Paul, it was Timothy, Mark, a cloak, and some scrolls. And it's, that's not what it's going to be for you. But what is it going to be for you? 
Am I clearly communicating what I need from other people to build connection? You probably don't need Timothy, Mark, a cloak, and some scrolls. But what do you need? Maybe it's, I need more time with you. Or someone else. I need more time. And then, ask for it. Tell someone, I need more time from you. You know, I did something dumb and I need forgiveness because I'm carrying around some guilt. Ask for forgiveness. Hey, I'm really sorry I did that. Do you forgive me? I need someone to meet my physical, tangible needs. I need help doing this. I need money. I need babysitting. I need something. I need someone to meet my needs. But I'm just going to like walk around with this look on my face hoping someone reads it and picks it up and says, oh, you look like you need help. You do not want anybody to put that um, like expectation on you. You're a horrible person because you didn't like read my expression as I was walking around grumpy. Like if you just told me. And in the same way, we have to tell other people. We all need to ask and then, guess what? We all need to be ready for when someone asks us. Guys, and here's my like cautionary note. Someone is going to try to ask you and it's going to come off super weird. And you need to be able to be like, oh my gosh, I know what they're doing. They're trying to ask me for help. And then you embrace that. The couple that I really would would hold up, especially recently, is Alex and Simon. Man, they came over. Alex has been great with Jen. And they came over and we just kind of talk and talk and talk and talk and talk. talk. But they're not afraid to say, hey, this is what I need. Can you help? I appreciate that. When they were like, hey, can we we use your house for a, a birthday party? I'm like, yes, you can use my house for a birthday party. I would love it. Guys, any of you, you can use my house for a birthday party. You might be like, well, my house is better than yours. That's fine, but I'm just letting you know you can use my house for a birthday party. In the middle of the night, when we got the call from them, and and Simon was like, "Uh, I got to take Alex to the hospital. Can I bring Addie over? Uh, I was like, praise Jesus, yes. Because that's what family does. So here's my three things, because we're going long. Don't keep each other at arm's length. Practice vulnerability. And ask for the things that you need. You know, I don't make a lot of guarantees, but I can guarantee you that if we got good at these three things, we will have a church that feels like family. God will rejoice that there's a group of people that are like trying to fulfill his vision for what community should look like. But there's a warning to that, though. If we refuse to work on these things, if we look at that list and we go, nah, that's dumb. I'm going to keep walking around like this. When someone tries to get close, I'm going to shut them down immediately. And I'll just take care of myself. I don't need you jokers. If you refuse to work on these things, we're going to continue a cycle where we're just playing church because we're ignoring this fundamental part of what God's vision for church is. 
And we could all agree to that. We could all say, guys, let's just have like a, a pseudo-religious social club. We'll meet at the same time every week and we'll do the things and we'll sing and we'll do. And we could all agree that that's what we want. But I'm telling you, that's not what we're going to do. <laughs> that's not what I want. I want to experience deep love from the heart. And I want to work on loving you deeply from the heart. I want to feel that from you. I want to feel like, man, it's not just a sincere, distant love. It's like a deep love from the heart. And I want to see it acted out between everybody in the church and breaking those uh, boundaries that we set up. And so we can make that happen, but it's going to take a lot of work. And if you thought, like, a sermon is going to fix anything, nah. Like I said, as I tried to list lots of examples, and there's more, you guys are not horrible. You're great. But we have to constantly be working at this stuff. Everything in a community that is beautiful or amazing, how does it get there? It usually comes through foresight, diligence, and perseverance. But communities are destroyed by the selfishness and laziness of ignoring problems. And we have so many great examples here of family. But we're always going to be looking for ways that we can get closer, more trust, more great relationships. Amen? Guys, thank you so much for that. And with that, Steve Mask is going to do our communion today. So come on up, Steve.